This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store, Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha in Caverns, deep below the metro area, it is our pleasure to welcome you to episode 720 of the Two-Headed Nerd Comic Book Podcast. I'm your spooky head number one, the internet's Joe Patrick. I'm your scary head number two. My name is Matt Baum, and it's time for another back-issue show. This time, our sentient cosmic long box forces us to read and discuss classic comics based on a theme... And since this week we're celebrating both Halloween and the Day of the Dead, there was only one shambling, brain-eating theme that fit the bill. Zombie Comics! After that, we'll set you up with our must-read picks for next week's new comics, but now it has been said that when there is no room left in hell, the dead will walk the earth. Bad news, bucko. They've been shambling around scary comics since the 1940s. So it's zombie back issue review time in the ziggurat. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Stop it. You're ignorant. Most of the sources I could find on the net say the first appearance of zombies in comics was in the pages of Avon Publishing's Eerie Number 1 back in 1947. A year later, in 1948, EC would publish their first zombie story, Zombie Terror, in the pages of Moon Girl Number 5. Later, comics publishers, under pressure from parent groups and even Congress, would create the Comics Code to protect our youth from comics like Tales from the Crypt and The Haunt of Fear, amongst others. Zombies were effectively outlawed, but some publishers would find a way around that. Later on, zombies began to pop up again. They're still around here and there, but it wasn't until Robert Kirkman's Walking Dead in 2003 that zombie comics really exploded back onto the comic scene. Thanks to our festive Halloween cosmic long box, Joe and I are going to be digging up the history of the undead in comics. And we start with a bonus review of the very first zombie story. That's right, it is King of the Living Dead from the pages of Eerie number one. Uh, As Matt said, it's from Avon Publishing. We don't, uh, like, I couldn't really tell you who wrote it. It's not, we we think the art is by Martin Thule. Yeah, this is like before a time where we gave credit to creators. Golden Age comic book (laughs) creators, yeah, Golden Age comics were not interested in putting credits in their comics for the most part. I'm sure there's a record of it somewhere. We just were dummies. No, I really dug around and couldn't find crap. Like I ended up finding you know, that name Martin Thull in a blog that was written about old, like pre-EC horror well, and stuff hey, like that. Good job. Good on you. It's Nancy crazy. Drew. And if somebody does know, I would love to hear it. There's nothing on the internet. It's crazy. Here is a uh, little synopsis for you. Did you write this? Yeah, it's like a setup that I grabbed from a collection of things. In Budapest, Adrina Roland, bride of Walter Austin, is kidnapped by a zombie. I guess we're. I guess we already know it's a zombie. Yeah, and brought to an underground cavern. Austin manages to follow unnoticed through the sewer system, 
they meet a madman who is recruiting an undead army and plans to conquer the surface world. The courageous American, however, can dispose of the master and his servants by collapsing the cavern. <laughs> Which I love because it's like, yeah, that's the whole story. <laughs> that's all. Of it, I mean, that's right? the story. Yeah, that's pretty much what happens. This is 1947. You know, zombies were around. It's not like the idea was just invented, but like zombie comics. Well, the I, I were mean, very yeah. different. Very the idea. The idea of walk the walking dead as an idea was around. Sure. Like this zombie is more like a supervillain, straight up supervillain. Like he's a dude. He has thoughts. Well, the feelings, king of the undead, the plans. king of the undead is the ringleader, but the guy that snatched them was just like a mindless, like, Arr. yeah, but the ringleader is a zombie too. Like he's a full on zombie. Yeah. He's something. Yeah. I mean, he, but he's a smart zombie. I like, I don't know. I don't know the rules of this, of this world that Martin Thule is establishing here. (laughs) He's got a really Um, big head too. Like the dude. (laughs) I mean, yeah, he's got a bit of a five head. Um, yeah, it's, it's very strange. I mean, it's nothing really like what we think of today. No, as far as zombies go. No, the rules are just, it's like they're figuring out the rules for a lot of stuff at this time. It's 1947. So comics are, Still pretty new, right? And like the majority of this story is narration. They don't put a lot in the art. Well, sure. It, you know, there there's scenes where like the guy, his ballerina girlfriend who's in love with him, who's like, well, let's get married. And she's like, yes, I'm going to quit my job as a world famous ballerina and just be in love with you, which yeah. I love because it's just like, that's right, baby. You're mine well, now. I mean, you could make a living. You could make a living just being in love back in 1947. Apparently. I don't know. Well, it's, you shouldn't be working. You're, you're a housewife now you're married. So well, being in love is your job. Yes. Like, exactly. like Ken's job is beach. Yeah, right? exactly. Like your, your job is love. So they're super in love. Zombie kidnaps are, you know, and like dude follows zombie down in the sewers. And it's like the narration just takes over from there. The art is just like, all right, I'll draw a guy sort of like going through a tunnel. And now he's look, on some stairs. Not, and now he's look, I'm I'm not gonna lie. I thought the art was great. The art is good. But like for like compared to comics of, of that time, like uh, you've gotta be in a special headspace, I think, to like really appreciate golden age comic art. Sure. Sure. And because, you know, they were making, they were literally inventing the genre as they went. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, the art's good. And it's like, they just didn't know all the rules of like yeah. the story, this kind of but visual storytelling that would be, that would later to, we figure out. Yeah, uh, but compared to a lot of um, Golden Age art that I've seen, I thought that this was very, like, well illustrated, I guess. Like, there's a couple, like, were there some where it's just... um some panels where it was just like poses, you know, yeah, it's like very yeah. almost even modern looking in terms of like the detail put into like facial structure and stuff. So I thought the art was well done for the time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, but then oh, there's also like a panel where he's crawling through unimaginable filth. Right. And it's like a picture, of, uh, an inset of him wading neck deep in the top left corner and then an overhead shot of him from above, wading through it from above in the same panel. Right. It's like, yeah. that, that's not, that doesn't work. Like, what are we doing there? And like the really panel, and him in the sludge, they may have just like cut the head out and stuck it down there. You know, <laughs> whatever. Uh, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it's it had, what it you is. Know, it had wavy lines around it, like, you know, to imply that like, oh, these bodies coming out. Yeah. But it's the first like, zombie story. And like these guys, they had a, you know, a 
some understanding, I guess. They they didn't go for the traditional zombie or they didn't know much about the traditional zombie. I don't know zombie. if there was such a thing as a but, traditional zombie as we would understand it. Oh, sure. I mean, like, as yeah. As we would recognize it. There definitely was. It came from, like, Haitian stories and there was horror. No, no, no like, I know. But like, as far as pop culture is concerned, like, the idea of the zombie that most people conjure in their minds did not exist. As far as pop culture goes. Well, I mean, it was present already in, in like novels and stuff like that. Maybe it wasn't as prevalent. So well, sure. I mean, again, that's that. a novel. We're yeah. talking about like a visual depiction of yes. a, a rotting walking corpse. Right. No, I totally agree with that. And like, like the King of the Undead looks more like a vampire. Totally. He, yeah, he looks like a bizarre Bat Boy kind of supervillain yeah. thing. So yeah, he looks like Bat Boy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I mean, I, I can't, it's the first zombie story, so it's important. I mean, they, every zombie story would come from this, I guess. So I, I'm not going to say like it's a failure or anything, and it's it's too old to even really give like a rating because they, they're the first to do it. I guess it's a buy it. Well, you know what? I feel like maybe for the Cosmic Long Box, we should change our buy it to a read it. Because in a lot of cases, nobody's going to be able to buy like. I almost wonder if like we Blue should. Blue Beetle number one or whatever. If the Cosmic Long Box should literally just be a discussion of the books and we don't even rate them. You know, like. Nah, we just I like rating them. Discuss and then we go. They'll like, know so if we hate it. It's hard sometimes. I think read it, skim it, leave it is, is still a pretty good. Nah, let's stick with our, let's stick with our bullshit ratings. They're fun. We're not changing. Now. Yeah, it's fine. <laughs> uh, well, this is a, this is a buy it. Um, we, Matt found this on some archival comics history site. It's like, I'm, it, it's legal. Comicbookplus.com. Like yeah. This is, this is firmly in, you know, public it, domain. It, yeah. So. Well, not public. It's not public domain because it's only 80 years old. Oh no, yeah. But I like think it, it might be in public domain because the rights are just for this stuff is just, it gone. could be that the rights know. are just not like yeah. nobody owns the rights to this. I don't know. Weirdness, but yeah, it, it's, it's worth reading. I think if you want to see like the very first zombie comic, yeah. it was interesting and fun. And I thought the art was kind of cool, you know, for, for the time, like, yeah, like, it's a buy it. Eerie would get for, relaunched. For nothing. It's eight pages long. Who yeah, cares? Eerie would get relaunched later, and it'd be like an EC book. Yes, very stuff like famously that. as a yeah, magazine. This is not that book. <laughs> not, this is <laughs> not Eerie magazine. No. I've never even heard of Avon Publishing. No, I can't tell I have either. We're going to jump forward to the 70s and talk about a, well, I'm not going to say a better known zombie, but maybe a more recognizable zombie character. Oh, I'd say he's better known just by default. <laughs> I suppose. In Tales of the Zombie, number one from Marvel, 1973, with an amazing cover by Boris Vallejo. Art by- Wild Boris Vallejo. That's yeah. crazy. Art by Dick Ayers, John Bushima, Bill Evett, Pablo Marcos, Tom Palmer, Sid Shores, and Tom Sutton. This is written by Steve Gerber, Tony Isabella, Stanley, Kit Pearson, Tom Sutton, and Marv Wolfman. But really, I'm only looking at the Steve Gerber and Stan Lee stories. And uh, John Bushima and Bill Everett are the artists on pretty much all the zombie stuff. Yeah, there's three living zombie stories yeah. in the book. Two of them by Bushima, one of them by Bill Everett. Right. Or John, at least. 
Tales of the Zombie, or just Zombie, as they seem to call it now, was one of the first Marvel magazines which would serve as an adult-themed anthology that allowed Marvel to get around the comics code, which didn't allow zombies in comics. Put them in a magazine? Ah, it's totally fine. <laughs> get some bare butts up in here. There you go. This is the first appearance of Simon Garth as the living zombie, but Simon first appeared in Atlas Comics, Menace number five, back oh, in no 1953. Way. It was a horror story by Stan Lee. Here, he gets a new job as a vengeful zombie who is a total jerk coffee baron in life, but <laughs> coffee baron. sort of a hero in his undeath. He's not just a coffee baron. He's like filthy rich coffee yeah, baron. Yeah, like he's like Simon Starbucks. Yeah, it's like Mr. <laughs> Folgers or something. I don't know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Gerber writes the main three-part story where we get Simon's origin complete with voodoo cultists and high priestess that turns out to be his Creole secretary who is in love with him. <laughs> Through a bizarre twist of fate, Simon ends up murdered by the portly, drunk, ugly gardener <laughs> he beat and fired for watching his daughter swim naked and then yeah. resuscitated Creepy. as a zombie slave by his secretary, to avoid the voodooists, their word, not mine, wrath complete with an amulet that controls him. This is very classic Haitian voodoo stuff here, right? Old school rules. Bushima and Palmer are on art duty and they make black and white and green for some reason look really good. The green was weird. Yeah, I don't know. And Out of was, nowhere. And it was only in certain parts of the zombie story. Well, there was story. some in the other stories as well. Simon isn't a brain-eating zombie. He's more of almost a tragic hero who will kill to defend himself or the innocent. It's a sort of wild take on zombies, but I had a good time with his origin. This would have made for another super fun MCU Halloween special starring Michael Shannon, in my opinion. But oh yeah, <laughs> we may have to wait for Marvel to restart their TV production with showrunners before we get another one of those. I gotta say, like... This was wild and wooly and like just adult enough. It was, there wasn't like full nudity, but there was like butts and like the, yeah, right. the idea of nudity. And like there wasn't. I don't think there was even any cursing. Not really. There was like some violence, but like it wasn't really on panel. Like people got shot. Like when, when the it's living zombie. 13 at best, really. Absolutely. When the living zombie like attacks that mugger, the heroin addict, who was like, man, this dude is an addict. He's freaking out. <laughs> Yeah. But he like, instead of eating him or tearing him apart or something, you know, like a zombie would, he takes his gun and he shoots him. <laughs> well, like, he forces the guy's arm. He forces the guy's arm back towards him and turns the I, gun on I, himself. I guess, but you he know, doesn't like grab the gun and pull the trigger. I know. I'm just saying this is not like, you know, a, a put your fingers in your eyes and bite your face zombie. This is a, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he not like mindless flesh craving. A living zombie, if you will. I'm giving yeah. this a buy it. I wonder if that's also something that they came up with to kind of skirt the comics code is the idea of the living blank. Cause there was also the living mummy and the living Morbius, the living vampire. And it's like, I don't know. I think maybe did, did they think they were pulling something over on the comics code. So from what I read, they wanted to establish the fact that this is not a mindless shambling character. Well, sure. You know, and like, and the whole thing with the amulet and everything, it's like, this controls you, but when they sent like him to go fetch his daughter for the super ugly drunk gardener, which in the comic they keep saying he's so ugly and he's so drunk. <laughs> you know? 
Like yeah. he won't do it. He can't do it. He overpowers the amulet and he's like, no, it's my daughter, you know? So he's almost like a Frankenstein more than yeah, a Yeah, yeah, I mean, he's right. He's a force of, na- uh, a force of nature kind of, right? It, it's just so funny to me. Like, I, I thought that this was fun. Yeah, I thought it was uh, a blast. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was fun. It's a buy it for me as well. But it's it's funny, like, looking at it because it just kind of reminds me, like, if you're somebody that's familiar at all with um, older Marvel comics, like, yep, this is right. Smack dab in the middle of Marvel's obsession with voodoo culture. Oh, yeah. Because we had all kinds of voodoo shit going, going on, on in Marvel comics. Brother voodoo time. was going on at the same time. Like, well, they, there Toots was a, has the been, Avengers villain Black Talon who wore yeah. a chicken costume. You know, it's like, okay. Toots has been posting about the Brother Voodoo comics on our Discord. Yeah. And when he saw... I, that I was posting all this stuff from the living zombie magazines. He was like, Oh my God, this is like the same exact time. You can see it in our show notes for this one. Yeah. Like I posted a bunch of pictures and stuff in the discussion, there, but yes. they were nuts about voodoo at the time. <laughs> yes. Uh, voodoo and Satan. Oh like yeah. Once they, once they figured out that you're like, yeah, Satan, we could put Satan in our comics. Well, you can't put gun, Satan, but you, guns can't, you can put his kid in it. No, no, no. Because at, so maybe by like the time ghost rider came around, it was full on Satan. Yeah, I guess it was. And there were still yeah, comics. I think, because there were, it wasn't Mephisto. In the original Ghost yeah. Rider stories, Johnny makes a deal with Satan. And I, I think the deal was just like the comics code didn't say anything about Satan. It said like or murder, they, zombies, up stuff like that. But like it, didn't specifically say no Satan. <laughs> but like supernatural stuff was hot at Marvel oh, in yeah. the 70s. Oh, yeah. Because like Tomb of Dracula, you know, we got all the stuff. And this was, this fits right in. The John Buscema, Tom Palmer chapters are beautiful. His, They're yeah, really lovely. Great. Uh, the second chapter is drawn by Bill Everett. If that name is familiar, sounds familiar to any of you, uh, that's because Bill Everett is the co-creator of Namor the Submariner. Oh, that's right. Oh, no way. I can't believe I missed yeah. that. Okay. That story is also very cool looking, but in a different way. Like, it reminds me... Don't go out of your way to find them if you don't know what they are. Just, uh, but they remind me of uh, Chick Tracks. Matt, do you know who Jack Chick was? Yeah, he's the guy that wrote all the the little. He wrote the the anti like yeah, scary the, Satan super, books. They're Christian, like the warning super, you about super fundamentalist yeah. right wing Christian propaganda comic artist. They're like, if you use drugs, the devil's tricking you, and he'll turn yeah. you gay. Like, and send literally, you to gay hell. There's, there's a comic book. There's a there's a comic about kids playing D anD D where they are literally like die and go to hell like mm-hmm. it's crazy but uh they the bill everett st- uh, art reminded me of like chick tracked art it's it's crazy it's um, yeah this is a buy it i thought this was fun i really like this let's hop 40 years into the future for the walking dead number one this is from image comics it came out in 2003 it's written by Robert Kirkman with art by Tony Moore. And here is your solicit. And all of my books are from the Diamond Comics, uh, you know, era. So these are actual solicits that they use to sell these books. Well, this also gets repressed probably every two years. So. A lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but this one, like, <laughs> this one you can tell that it's it's from back in the day because it it leans very heavily on a lot of Kirkman's older works sure, that sure. Uh, most Walking Dead readers will not have heard of. How many hours are in a day when you don't spend half of them watching television? 
When is that last time any of us really worked to get something that we wanted? How long has it been since any of us really needed something that we wanted? The world we knew is gone. The world of commerce and frivolous necessity has been replaced by a world of survival and responsibility. An epidemic of apocalyptic proportions has swept the globe, causing the dead to rise and feed on the living. In a matter of months, society has crumbled. No government, no grocery stores, no mail delivery, no cable TV. Yikes. In a world ruled by the dead, we are forced to finally start to live. Now that would have been good enough, but it keeps going. So I think that they mashed the solicits for two different books together here. Rick Grimes is not prepared for this. <laughs> a couple months ago, he was a small town cop who had never shot anyone and only ever saw one dead body. Separated from his family, he must now sort through the death and confusion to try and find his wife and son, all the while fighting for his survival. How did this happen? How did things get so bad so fast? How will things ever return to normal after everything he's seen? From the guys behind Battle Pope and Brit comes something completely different. Well, as we now know, it certainly wasn't the first comic book about zombies to hit the stands. Uh, but The Walking Dead started a zombie craze that took over the comics industry and grew into a multimedia phenomenon that continues today. And it all started with this little black and white comic from a dude that was best known at the time for creating a foul-mouthed, muscle-bound, demon-fighting pope and his sidekick, Jesus H. Christ. Revisiting this issue for the first time in years, I had forgotten how effortlessly Kirkman and Moore established the world that Rick Grimes wakes up to. There's a little bit of background that I glossed over here. There was some debate back in the day about whether or not Kirkman cribbed this idea from 28 Days Later, because the lead character, Rick, uh, very famously uh, is shot in the line of duty and then wakes up from a coma. And while he was asleep, the zombie apocalypse happened. Yeah. Which is the exact same plot from 28 Days Later. I, pretty much. And Kirkman is a known liar. Like he, he did it. Kirkman did is a known famous. liar and a zombie <laughs> super fan. Yeah. So it's, but also the, they came out like neck and neck. Pretty close. So, yeah. you know, it, it's, you know, the world may never know. 28 days later it was we, 2002. So, so, but he was probably working on that, on this back in 2002. Maybe. <laughs> I don't know. I also don't know when in 2003 this came out. Yeah. To be fair. I mean, it's still pretty close, pretty close. We learned what happened to society along with Rick, not the cause, but like literally what's going on here along with Rick, and we see him set out on his quest to find his family. The issue is so light on dialogue for the most part, but it's still so packed with story. There's horror and gore, but it all serves that story, and it isn't used to exploit the reader's emotions. The incredible art and gray tones by Tony Moore are a huge help in that regard. Moore only stuck with the book through the first story arc, uh, replaced by Charlie Adler, who would draw the series until its conclusion, which we will discuss later in the episode. But Moore definitely deserves credit for helping to set the artistic tone of the series. 
The zombie craze did get kind of old eventually, and early fans of both the comic and later the show, like myself, fell away from it. But The Walking Dead remains the gold standard for compelling comics that are about more than just blood and guts. I'm giving this a huge buy it. Like, I I loved this. I yeah. thought it was so good. It was Okay, so it's an amazing comic. We, we've all established that. The, the funny thing here is we just jumped from the 70s to 2005, and there was a bunch of zombie stuff going on. in the, Pardon but me, yes, 2003. 40 years. Yeah. 40 years. There was a bunch of zombie stuff going on in the 70s, and then literally it vanished. There, I mean, there was like, what, thriller? Yeah, <laughs> like, totally. Zombies were, were a big thing. There were some zombie movies and stuff, sure, but like zombie comics? No, they not were really. not a thing. Like we worked in the comic shop when this came out and we, mm-hmm. and, and people were just like, well, who cares? Whatever. Okay, fine. And I picked up one. That was actually pretty good. And when they're like word of mouth, people were handing it around. There were later on, there's all this like legendary stories behind it. Like he had a plan the entire time and, and he demanded this comic book being black and white and something like, turns out it wasn't like that at all. They're like, if we are going to publish this, it's going to be the cheapest thing in the world because nobody buys well, zombie I mean, comics. We, and like, <laughs> creators <laughs> called the shots on their books. So, no, like, they, no. See, but nobody, according to some people, they said, Image is not going to get behind this book. And he was like, fine, I'm going to front more money than Image would normally help us with to get it out. And they couldn't afford color and stuff like that because of it. And then they just stuck with black and white. But nobody really knows because all this stuff is legend. And but Kirkman's Image still a liar. put it out. I agree, but Valentino was the it's one that got Larson to put it out. Larson didn't want to do it. Yeah. He was like, no, people don't buy zombie comics. And at that time, they didn't. Nobody was buying zombie right. comics. Uh, it's not a one-to-one analogy, but I will. But The Walking Dead is a zombie comic in the same way that Sweet Tooth is about the post-apocalypse. Well, save that because that's what I'm. You know gonna, what I mean? That is the main thing I'm going to talk about in my review of the final issue. So okay. save, so yeah, save fine. those. Thoughts. I'll put a pin in that idea. With this issue, this looked like it was just going to be a pretty traditional run-of-the-mill zombie comic. Oh my god! This zombie apocalypse has already started, and how are we going to survive and stuff? Like we had no idea. Much like Invincible what we were getting into. Invincible looked like it was going to be kind of a Superboy story. Oh, uh, not at all. Nope. Right. <laughs> you know? And The Walking Dead, as we'll talk later, follows a very different track than where we thought it was going. But they don't make comics like this anymore. And the story behind this launch, we were all there. We all, like, I bought it, sold my issue later on for like 500 bucks, you know? I, mean, I bought it, it, yeah. It's a crazy story. And like, dig into this one. The stuff behind it. It, there's a lot of fun stuff out there and nobody knows what the true story is. And Eric Larson and Jim Valentino, they're not talking about it. So <laughs> I don't know. It's wild. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Kirkman was already at image doing like, like it's the solicit said like Brit. And I think maybe they were even doing battle Pope reprints at the time, but even that, so, stuff, it didn't sell. Nobody cared, but he was a known creator at image though is what is my point. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is that made Eric Stevenson would, uh, was. I still was. I think still he would the have been the publisher. Then. Yeah, I think so. I, I don't know what made Image take a chance on The Walking Dead because you're right. Like zombies were not a popular no. genre. And then like flash forward to like Walking Dead issue ten. 
Bear, yeah, maybe. Maybe. And dead. all of a sudden, it was the hottest shit in the world. And they only printed three or maybe 5,000 of these, so they were gone. Issue one was gone. Yeah, yeah. Long no, gone. And then the floodgates opened, and there were zombie comics everywhere. <laughs> you couldn't swing a dead cat without hitting a zombie comic. Oh, my comic. God. So the first two comics we did, they don't necessarily depict what you and I would consider the traditional depiction of a zombie, like the the flesh craving, you know, like literally rotting off the bone kind of zombie. Like the night of the living, the night of the living dead zombie, if you will. Like George Romero, like he created that shit, right? Like that's from him. Yes and no. I mean, like the EC comics definitely had this stuff. It was out there, you know, there were horror stories about zombies, but it wasn't on screen yet. Don't you, do you agree or no? Yeah. The night of the living dead. That's, that's what I just said. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I don't know if it was a thing before I mean, Night of the it, Living Dead. I, I guess I don't really know. It was, but it was in the sense that maybe we hadn't seen it on screen yet. You know what I mean? That way. So it wasn't in the public zeitgeist, if you will. Like the idea right. of the zombie was you come back an undead slave. Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. You're controlled it, by your, yeah. your master through Haitian voodoo or whatever, you know, weird shit like that. So this is more along the lines of the Night of the Living Dead zombie. We don't know why they're here. We don't know what they want. All we know is they crave human flesh. That's it. Right. Who's there? One of those myriad of zombie books that tried to cash in on Walking Dead fame is also written by Robert Kirkman, and it happened over at Marvel Comics. It's Marvel Zombies, number one. This is from Marvel. It's 2006, so this is just like three years after The Walking Dead started, right? (laughs) Even so, though, I think that Kirkman was basically writing his own ticket at that point. He kind of was. He was, I think Kirkman was in demand. They brought like him that. into Marvel and he thought, I think according to him, he kind of thought they were going to be like, you want the Fantastic Four? You want the X-Men? It is all yours. And Marvel was kind of like, why don't you just do some other stuff first <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. Sure. He wasn't real happy about it. The cover, well, And a lot of his Marvel output is pretty forgettable. I'm going to talk about that. The cover was by Arthur Sudiam. It's a recreation of Amazing Fantasy 15 with an undead Spider-Man swinging on his web. It's amazing. Art by Sean Phillips. It's written by Robert Kirkman. Colors by June Chung and letters by Randy Gentile. Here is your solicit. Actually, I wrote this. I'm sorry. Here's your setup. This story started in the pages of Ultimate Fantastic Four number 21 after Magneto sent the Ultimate FF back to Earth 1610 through a dimensional portal that has to be destroyed from the other side. The other side being a world overrun by super zombies. It's Magneto versus the Marvel zombies, but not for very long. At this point, Kirkman, like I said, was three years into his Walking Dead run when he got the Marvel zombies assignment. Here, Kirkman's zombies are the stars. After quickly finishing off Ultimate Magneto, the zombies spend the rest of the book. No, no, it's not Ultimate Magneto. It's the Marvel Zombies Earth Magneto. This is Magneto from Ultimate Fantastic Four, though. Oh no, you're right. It, He's you're right. They're from they're from you're this right. alternate universe. See, that's they correct. went to ultimate, the Ultimate FF. The ultimate vid, universe. visited yeah. this. Year. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. right by Mark Miller and Greg Land. <laughs> yeah. 
After quickly finishing off Magneto, the zombies spend the rest of the book having long discussions about their new zombie lives. Peter's upset he ate Aunt May. The Avengers devoured Jarvis, and it sounds like he let them, which is really disturbing. And after the Hulk finishes eating Magneto's leg, he turns back into Banner, and the leg bursts out of his stomach because I guess Zombie Hulk doesn't chew his food. The whole thing comes off as an attempt at gory comedy or perhaps a mean-spirited excuse to torture heroes that Kirkman never got to write. Sean Phillips is an exceptional artist who had been doing some amazing work at this time, but you wouldn't know it by looking at this comic book. Oh, come on. No, it's not good, Joe. His characters float in brown blank backgrounds and seem to crawl, fly, and even fall in bizarre ways. None of this worked for me at all. The final scene where the Silver Surfer shows up, that is the worst Silver Surfer I've ever seen, Joe. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. I think you're being a little, you're exaggerating a little bit. Go look at my notes. Go look at my show notes in the, in yeah, the 720 discussion. I've seen discussion it. I've read it. Don't it you think I know what Marvel Zombies looks like? It is amazing to me that we still get Marvel Zombie comics today. If this was supposed to be fun or scary or both, it did not land for me at all. I'm giving this a leave it. And I remember why I never cared about Marvel zombies after reading this. See, now I'm trying to decide. I'm trying to decide my writing. Yeah. Marvel zombies isn't great. It's dumb. And it's just dumb. It, it reads to me more like kind of satire, but it's not really very good satire. Mm -mm. And I don't know if it even knows what it's satirizing. That like, just, is it a, is it a satire of zombie comics or of superhero comics? I, I don't know, but it's certainly not a very good, zombie comic because it's not it's not scary it's just kind of gross right even then it's like only kind of gross <laughs> because it's very cartoonish over the top almost slapsticky kind poorly of illustrated don't forget that part i don't think the art is as bad as you are saying it is i think that this is kind of on par with what sean phillips was doing back in those days i think if you go back and look that you will see that it's not all that different. Sean Phillips worked on Sleeper with Ed Brubaker for Wildstorm two years previous to this, and that book looks amazing. That book is amazing. Yeah, I mean, okay, that's, that's <laughs> so. fine. But this, it's fine. Like, it's whatever. Uh, I, I think Marvel Zombies is an idea that should have ended with the first series because it's been a, uh, a series of diminishing returns ever since. Like, the second volume, oh, this volume ends... <laughs> with them finding and eating Galactus. And so the next book is all about cosmically powered Marvel zombies, which is like so stupid. It, you like, know, like you're not, it's not even a serious, like you're not even telling a serious story. At that sure, point. But if you give this to the right person, like if Donnie Cates is behind this, I'll bet it's great. I'll bet it's fun as hell. You know, like that's the kind of guy that could pull this off. I think Kirkman just kind of comes off as sort of like a jerk writing this he it's like he just wants to torture these characters because he's mad about something i don't know but i, I, I mean like i think it. you're i think you're applying conspiracy theory where it doesn't apply like I they, am, hired, I admit, they I hired him to do this thing it's not like well they, they, it's not like they, they just let him grind his axe on their own on their dime i but, think they hired him and he thought he was going to come in and get to do whatever yeah. he wanted to do and they were like no we want you to do a zombie book and he was like I'm already doing a zombie book. <laughs> yeah, but Matt, they still didn't have to. They still gave the okay. Like somebody at Marvel was like, yeah, this looks good to us, Robert. You know, 
So I, I think Marvel was in on the joke, whatever that joke was supposed to be. It's not a very good joke. I'm going to give it a skim it because I don't really think it's as terrible as Matt is making it out to be. But I also don't think it's must read stuff and not a great Zodiac comic by any means. It'd be another three years, but DC would try to cash in on the zombie craze as well with Blackest Night, number one, from 2009. This one's written by Jeff Johns with pencils by Ivan Rice. Inks by Eau Claire Albert. Colors by Alex Sinclair. Letters by Nick J. Napolitano. And here is your solicit. It's a weird place to try and cash in on that, right? <laughs> it's, it's like I would have never guessed at the time. <laughs> eh, you know, I don't know. Throughout the decades, death has plagued the DC universe and taken the lives of heroes and villains alike, but to what end? As the War of Light rages on, the prophecy of the Blackest Night descends upon us, with Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps at the center of it all. The return of Hal Jordan reinvigorated interest in the Green Lantern Corps in the early 2000s as Jeff Johns applied the same knack for rejuvenating concepts as he brought to the JSA a few years earlier. By 2009, there were multicolored rings flying all over the DC universe. So many and, colors. <laughs> and, and plastic facsimiles flying out of comic shops. I still have all mine. They're in this Again, best drawer next to me. something <laughs> that we were both there for. Oh, every once in a while, I just put them all on and work. <laughs> yeah. When the War of Light finally hit Earth, Batman's corpse was still warm from Final Crisis the previous year, but... That didn't stop him, or at least his skull, from being front and center during DC's superhero take on the zombie epic. With the story centered on the heroes and villains that have fallen, Johns spends much of the issue devoted to the emotional connection those left behind still feel. In fact, that's actually a main plot point, is the emotional connection that characters are feeling yeah. for the, those that they've lost. There are a lot of great moments showing characters reflecting on uh, their fallen friends. The scene where a newly resurrected Barry Allen learns how many friends followed him in death is especially powerful. That's Ugh. a really great like Ugh. spread. Yeah. The issue serves as a pretty effective horror story despite its superhero trappings, especially for old school DC fans. Seeing beloved characters like Ralph and Sue Dibney, or an undead army of fallen Green Lanterns return as twisted and rotted versions of themselves is pretty chilling. Ivan Rice and Eau Claire Albert deliver solid work throughout, whether it's the triumphant celebration of life at the beginning of the issue or the bleak bloodbath at the end. Zombies were starting to become old news by 2009, but Blackest Night, number one, added superheroes to the mix and brought new life to the concept. I'm giving it a buy it. This inspired me. I actually read the entire event after I read this. For it's an amazing show. event. Okay. And this it's is a, a pretty example of a creator that knows how to do it. Jeff Johns nails this totally nails this. Right. And not to mention the fact that Ivan Rice is absolutely incredible and draws well, yeah. some pretty damn scary, dead, good guys and bad guys <laughs> like, Oh man, this time for green lantern. It was so great 
but it wouldn't be long after this that we were all right. like, okay, I'm yeah, done with the rainbow enough. story. That is <laughs> yeah, enough. Enough is enough. You know, like this is like the apex, I think. And it kind of starts to roll downhill after this, unfortunately. But yeah, this is like, a, a massive, another, massive buy it. I love this story so much. Another year and a half past this issue, we will have gone through the entire rainbow spectrum plus black and white. Yeah. Because Blackest Night led to Brightest Day, a 26-issue weekly series, uh, which is also pretty good. By the time you're done, you're just exhausted. Yeah. Like, no more. I don't care about any of these, uh, anybody but Green Lanterns from now on. Well, and they also just kept, like, it's another color that's the problem this time, and now it's another color that's the problem. Like, okay, I get it. I get it. Right. The colors are the problems, you know? (laughs) Which was a nice little break from like the guardians are evil. <laughs> <You know? laughs> right. Yeah, right. It was a break from that, but it just got to be a little much. Uh, but in the moment though, like at this point in time, God still damn. firing on all cylinders oh. and I was all in. God damn. This is good. Both green lantern and green lantern core books were kicking ass. Green lantern core too. by uh, Pete Tomasi and Patrick Gleason oh, underrated. So like good. underappreciated. I would say. Let's introduce a a new foe for the zombies with this book, Zombies vs. Robots, number one from IDW from 2006. The cover and art is by Ashley Wood. This is written by Chris Rael with letters by Robbie Robbins. Here's your solicit. It's tech prowess meets undead mayhem in this tale of carnage from the Eisner Award-nominated team of Ashley Wood, who worked on PopBot, and writer Chris Rael worked on The Great and Secret Show. A post-apocalyptic world overrun and by the zombies. ROM reboot. That's true. A post-apocalyptic. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a post-apocalyptic world overrun by zombies has only one chance of recovery. A team of robots that must protect and clone a lone surviving human baby. They just need to do this amidst the endless hordes of zombies who've been driven rabid by their frustration at inedible bots and their lust to eat the one living brain left on the planet. Ashley Wood isn't a name I've seen attached to comics for quite a while now, other than some cover work. Wood's art is insane at first glance, and it can come off as maniacal scribbling on the page. You almost need to relax your eyes a little, like staring at an impression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's painting, like a magic eye picture. Right? Like yeah. to see the image that he's portraying. But when you do start to make sense of the frantic lines, his genius really comes into focus. Wood and Rial's world is laid out by the robots, and since there's only three sentient types, warbots, cybots, and guardbots, you get a very stripped-down narrative as the robots try to figure out why the last living baby is crying while they mow through zombie hordes like picking weeds. (laughs) The zombies are almost tragic characters in this world since there's no humans left, and therefore there's just nothing to eat. It makes for some desperate and super abstract gory robot versus zombie action, and Wood delivers. This book looks wild. Like, while I was reading this, they don't make them like this anymore. 
Like, I don't know that you can make comics like this anymore. Mm -hmm. I loved this comic back in the early 2000s and completely forgot about it until we decided to do zombie comics. The quality of the later stories was still solid, but Wood only drew these first two issues and some of the annuals that came out after this. He may not have been the best choice for the Metal Gear Solid comic adaptation that came out the year previous, but he was amazing on this I remember this insane apocalyptic zombie story. I am giving this a buy it. People were so pissed about that Metal Gear Solid comic. I like you know, Matt. the internet wayback machine. I was like, oh man, people hated this shit. I remember it not being very good. I remember it, but that's it. Like it didn't leave much of an impression on like, me. Like it wasn't than that. bad. I think they, it just like the art was so impressionist. And like, it just, yeah, I mean, people are like, this we're not is here not what I'm here stuff. for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Right. It's, uh, yeah. Uh, you know, Matt, you and I lived through some shit <laughs> working oh, yeah. from the early to mid to mid, late, late mid 2000s as we did in the comic shop. Like, like we lived through all the 9-11 tributes, the rise of the zombie craze. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, Marvel Max and and uh Ultimate Universe. Ashley Wood and Ben Templesmith. <laughs> right. Ashley Wood and Ben Templesmith having a contest to see who could draw something that didn't right. look like anything the hardest. And they spawned a bunch of weirdos that did the same thing. You know? Yeah. I mean, I look, Ben Templesmith is an amazing artist. He's incredible. But, but like they're examples again, of people it's that something can, like you have to like really look at. And they're also and, you know, like it, creators that can do this and pull it off. They spawned yes, a right. bunch of other creators that could not do this. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Um, this is fun. This is a lot of fun. But for me, it was basically just a visual feast. It's yeah. it's like there's a story and it's fine. It's and, clever. And, and I think it's, it's, it's clever. Like I like it. It's cute and fun. But the art is what you come for for sure. zombies versus robots. And sure. it's gorgeous. This is a buy it. It's fantastic. It has been established that persons who have recently died have been returning to life and committing acts of murder. In the early to mid to late aughts, everything was I this, I that, right? Because the iPod and the iPhone and the iMacs were all the rage. So why should our zombies be any different? That's why I was so disappointed that there's nothing technological about iZombie number one from Vertigo. There's not a computer in this entire comic. I think it was not a, one. I bet it started as a nod to iRobot and iVampire, but you know, it was sort of. Well, like, iVampire is I, a vampire, like I, I Frankenstein. I, I get you. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, no, I gotcha. This is like lowercase I, capital Z, like I'm iPhone. not saying I know what they were going for here. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Even the font is all like digital looking. I agree. I think it was a bad idea. I think it yeah. was a bad idea. Uh, this came out in 2010, as I said, from Vertigo. It's written by Chris Robertson or Roberson. Sorry, Chris. Art by Mike and Laura Alred. Letters by Todd Klein, the multi Eisner winning legend Todd Klein. Here's your solicit Gwen Dillon is a grave digger in an eco friendly cemetery and a zombie detective. Once a month, she has to eat a human brain, both to keep from going all Night of the Living Dead and to keep her own memories intact. As a result, Gwen's mind is crowded with the dead person's thoughts. And lately, she feels compelled to fulfill their final requests. 
torn between a mysterious mummy and a dashing young monster hunter, Gwen is set for adventures beyond imagination. iZombie number one feels like a relic from a bygone age where Vertigo was still going strong, churning out quirky weirdness on a monthly basis. But iZombie's classic pop art-influenced style further distances it from the edgier titles of the time, like American Vampire and The Unwritten, both which had been recently launched and were, like, huge critical successes. But when you get Mike and Laura already involved, things can't help but feel a whole lot groovier, man! My memory of iZombie was almost completely overwritten by the excellent CW show of the same name. It is technically an adaptation, but everything except for the memory mystery solving angle is different. They even changed the main character's name and she's a coroner. She's like a police coroner or an assistant morgue attendant or something like nothing to do with uh, uh, being a grave digger at all. No. Great show, though. Great show. The show is. Yeah, the show is cute. The show is good. And uh, one of the co-stars. Rahul Kohli, Cooley, who would go on to star in many Mike Flanagan projects like Midnight Mass, Follow the House Flusher. Love him. Okay. I would argue the show better than the comic. Yeah, I liked the show a lot better. <laughs> yeah. I liked the show spoiler, a lot better. Spoiler for my review. but, but Yeah, I mean, it's that's the sad fact. Like, I don't like to compare the two because it's apples and origin, or, or, origins. It's apples and oranges, but I didn't find this nearly as compelling as the TV show. It's perfectly well executed, and the art is obviously fantastic, but something about it just didn't click for me. Maybe it's just a little too cute? Well, I don't know. One of Gwen's friends isn't a werewolf, but he's a lovesick were-terrier, for example. Like, ugh, whatever. I don't know, maybe I'm just a jerk. Maybe Matt probably feels the same way. It's just cutesy and not really that interesting. I just didn't find the cast very compelling beyond the surface level. iZombie isn't your average zombie comic, and it's not really my cup of tea, but it is perfectly well executed, and it's beautifully drawn. You might find more to like than I did. I'm giving it a skim it because it's not bad. I just don't care. It's all surface level. That's all it is. and, And I remembered liking this a lot more than I did when I came back. But I think it's just because it's Mike Alred art, and I love Mike Alred so much. And in my memory, right. I was like, of course I loved this book. It was Mike Alred. And I don't love this book. <laughs> it is just cute. No. It's cute and nothing else. That's it. Right. And it, it just comes off as like a stunt, like maybe not a very, I was going to say, not a very well fleshed out idea. <laughs> but I mean- it's not a very fl- good fleshed out idea. I mean, it's a, it's a flesh. He's got a fleshed out idea. It's cute. Like, there's a story best. behind this that builds over time, but, but I, maybe I don't okay. find it compelling. Well, yeah, because I don't think there's a lot there. I think they could have done something with this, but they just went for cute. That's it. So skim it for me. Very pretty book. That's about all there is to it. Sorry. And the name, and the, the name, the branding, the name, is the dumb. name the, yeah, and the, the branding is like, dumb. What the, that may, what have, the hell? Okay, that I may not be why? these creators fault. You know, we don't know. May, that could have been an editorial decision to push it, make it look hip and cool. I mean, that's not really what Vertigo. We don't know. Like, that's not really what Vertigo was known for. But it's this not is like also Vertigo like, wasn't really the place where they were like, 
We came up with an idea for a new book, and we want this guy to write it. I don't disagree, but this is also Vertigo when? Vertigo in... 2010. 2010. So we're getting towards the end of Vertigo here, aside from Fables, which is doing well. We're not in the Vertigo golden years anymore. No, we are just a few years away from the end of Vertigo. Yeah. But uh, iZombie was, I believe, a creator-owned thing because... It may have been. Mike Mike Alred and Chris Robertson's name is all over the TV show. Sure. I just think at this point... They were like, hey, kids, Vertigo's not just for older nerds that like want to read smart, heady stuff. It's cute, dude. Like, oh, no. Okay. Thanks. I'm done. I mean, it, you lost you're me. really giving them an impression that it's a different kind of cute <laughs> than it is. But yeah. It's got to start with a shake of a head. We cover the beginning of Walking Dead, only fitting that we cover the end. This is Walking Dead, number 193. We never reviewed this on our show, Joe. From Image, 2019, it was 80 pages. It's written by Robert Kirkman, cover and art by Charlie Adler, with inks by Cliff Rathburn. Here is your solicit. It's very short, so I fleshed it out a little bit with a setup, too. The farmhouse! Out in the countryside, trouble is brewing for a certain someone. That's the end of your solicit. This issue jumps 25 years into the future after Rick's death in issue 192 and shows us Carl's life on his protected farmstead. The walkers, which is their name for the zombies, are a thing of the past, outside of carnival slideshows that show them like zoo animals. When one walker escapes from confinement and ends up on Carl's farm, he does what his father taught him, And kills the hell out of it. Even though in these new times, the walker was technically another person's property. And times have changed so much that Carl is called to trial for his crime. For 193 issues, Kirkman had been trying to convey that The Walking Dead is a comic book set during a zombie apocalypse. But that is not the focus of the story. The story is about the people living through this apocalypse. And in this final issue, the creative team tells a story about the next generation and how they've forgotten what they refer to as the trials, which were the zombie days. It's an excellent send-off for a story that really isn't supposed to have a definitive ending or present a reason why the dead came back to life, for example. If we were to find out, it might actually derail the human epic that Kirkman had penned. Charlie Adler proved to be a machine over the years, just cranking out these issues after taking over for Tony Moore with issue six and his pencils, his paneling, his timing, and the emotion of his characters delivered with every issue. Honestly, I forgot how this series ended because it doesn't go out with a catastrophic bang or a a big final reveal, but that doesn't make this book any less effective. The Walking Dead might be another addition to the almost perfect run of comics club that is extremely hard to get into. Now, that solicit that you read for the first one, that is the solicit. And Michonne here, 25 years later, is a judge, and she reads that solicit as a line. Oh, the, how, when was the last time we had done yes, work for what we wanted? As yeah, a yeah, line yeah. that came out of Rick Grimes' mouth, and that like part of it is on a statue 
yeah, you're to right. Rick Grimes because he, I didn't put that together, but you're right. He is this hero of the wastelands. It came out and, and like proved to everyone like, Hey, you know, grouping into monstrous groups that only try to support each other is not the way to go. We have to be a society. This book is an amazing end to an amazing run of comics. I can't give this a bigger buy it. Yeah. And so it's, it's funny. You mentioned the solicit, how it's one sentence long. And there's a reason for that. And if you read the back matter from Kirkman at the end, you'll, you'll see that, um, they didn't tell anybody they were ending the book. No, they just did it. It was one ninety three. It's not they like they faked it. Two hundredth issue or something. Like you know? they solicited three or four fake issues. Yeah, that never like Charlie Adler. I think maybe did covers, but otherwise they don't exist. And so these solicits were just one sentence long, very vague. You know, a certain someone dot dot dot. Yeah, right? and it's like yeah, old man Carl. Is the answer is the is the someone like, in question like the issue before this? We had just seen Rick die. It's a, like still the same um, timeline. Yeah, and we're twenty five years in the future. Suddenly, people picked this up and went, "What the hell? <laughs> like, what is happening here?" Uh, so it was two issues prior. It was one ninety one. Well, one ninety one, he got Rick shot, gets gunned down. One ninety two, one ninety two, Carl finds him and he's a zombie. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, puts him out of his misery. Yeah. Right. So, but yeah. It, so, I mean, it's, I guess we're splitting hairs yeah. here, but yeah, like it, when Carl finds him, he has, he has already died and it's like, without even thinking about it, Carl plugs him. Yeah. And it's like, he doesn't hesitate. He's like, dad doesn't want this. And he's a goner. Yeah. You know, you, there's a lot you can say about Kirkman, good, good and bad. And, and a lot of it is deserved. Like his criticisms are deserved. I don't think that he's always been the strongest writer, um, but he's definitely gotten better over time. But something that I think that he's always done and that I always will respect him for is that he has done things his own way. Like he has told the story he wants to tell. And for them to actually go out of their way and solicit books that never came out and then spring it on not just fans, retailers as well. Yeah. It was just like you open the book and you get to the end and you're like, surprise, it's the end. And like that happened and it like who, when has that ever happened in comics where somebody's pulled off something like but that? It's such a perfectly effective way to end a story like this. That wasn't your typical comic book. That wasn't your typical zombie story. That wasn't your typical horror story. Like it wasn't any of those things. It just wasn't stuff like that yeah. happened in the books. Right. But it, this is just a human story. And this is such a great issue. This is a buy it. Charlie Adler as is an artist. People only know him from this one thing because he stuck with it for so long, but he's so good. Yeah, he signed on and just did the job. I love it. I love it. It's wonderful. Huge buy it. Let's wrap up on a slightly more humorous note with The Goon. Nothing but misery. Number one. I know I said humorous and then misery, but trust me. It's from Dark Horse Comics. It's 2011. This is written and drawn by Eric Powell with colors by Eric and Robin Powell. Here is your solicit. Bones will be broken and heads will roll. The Goon is a laugh out loud action packed romp through the streets of a town infested with zombies. 
An insane priest is building himself an army of the undead, and there's only one man who can put them in their place. The man they call Goon. Nothing But Misery is actually a reprint of the original Goon number one, published by Avatar Press under Powell's Albatross Exploding Funny Books brand in 1999. Good luck finding it. Yeah. This newer edition presents Powell's stories in full color for the first time. But while the zombie priest and his undead horde are arguably Goon's greatest nemeses, he'll scrap with anyone that has it coming. From fish-faced pirates complete with two hook hands and two peg legs to street-roaming giant squid and an entire family of disembodied fart spooks. Powell's writing is sharp and darkly hilarious, and while he has certainly gotten better over the years, he appeared on the comic scene practically fully formed, delivering beautifully illustrated pages. Or at least as beautifully illustrated as a zombie bobster with his peeling skin nailed to a fence can be. Oh, it's gorgeous. I mean, don't get yourself. Yeah, I mean, sure. The Goon is an irreverently hilarious treasure. And Nothing But Misery, number one, is a great entry point. But even if you can't find this particular one, Dark Horse still has a lot of Goon stuff still in print in trade paperbacks. Do yourself a favor. Check it out. This gets a huge buy it. I love the goon. Yeah, the goon is like one of those weird comic artifacts where if you just picked up one issue and never read anymore, you'd be like, what the hell is this? But the, But also you wouldn't be lost. Because the be goon lost. is the goon. Like every issue of the goon is essentially Yeah, I mean it's like the watching the same kind of thing. It's like an anthology. It's like a Tales from the Crypt show where like sort starring of, yeah. this character doing something wacky, and the art is so good that you cannot resist it. It is fantastic and this is like a guy who like you can tell grew up loving the old ec stuff probably a huge kelly jones fan as well you know and applied all this with a cartoonish sort of funny aspect to it like like sunday funnies aspect to it if you will and it just works it shouldn't on like talking about it it sounds like this should be terrible it just works and eric powell is a genius. He is so friggin' good at what he does. Check out his the Ed Gain book that he did about the mm-hmm. Ed Gain's the serial killer. I can't say the, what that Gain boy did or something like that. I can't yeah, something along those lines. Yeah. Oh my god, that is some of the most chilling shit you will read. This is his lighter side, but he's always like sort of in the darker paranormal. You know? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love the goo. This is a huge buy. Now that we've hacked the heads off of eight zombie comics, we need to pick the one that enters the THN permanent collection. And since Kirkman wrote three of them, there's almost a 40% chance it will be one of his. Matt, I did not check your math, but I trust that it's accurate. What was the best zombie comic you read in this pile? Well, if he wrote four of them, they have a 50% chance. So, you know. <laughs> Very, just like, I'm just saying, I didn't double check your math. <laughs> I got to give it to uh, the final issue to Walking Dead, I think, because it's just such a fantastic, like everything we said, it's such a great way to end it. And it was executed so well at the time. And if you lived through it, if you remember that, 
It was just bizarre. It was sort of like the same moment we had where like nobody knew that Captain America was going to die in that issue where he got shot. And like we walked in the comic shop and people were like, have you heard? I'm like, I haven't heard anything. What are you talking about? And they handed you Captain America. Go read this now. (laughs) <laughs> and you're like, oh my well, god! I mean, until the news spoiled it for us before. The sure, sure, sure. Them. But yes, but like, it was points, Nance. It was along that level of shocking and perfectly executed. So I got to give it to the Walking Dead one. Uh, I totally. Well, I'm giving it to the Walking Dead number one. So I think that's that's fitting. Sure. Um, I mean, it's the best zombie it, comic it, of all time. It's a great like. It's a great kind of bookend. Yeah. Experience, right? Um, the Walking Dead is a tremendous achievement, and maybe it overstayed its welcome. Maybe it didn't. Like maybe the market is oversaturated. That's up to you to decide. You, you can't deny the strength of these comics. Though. I think they're so good. There's an argument to be made that it's it's a close to perfect run of comics. It's incredible. I mean, yeah. uh, thirty-seven point five percent. By the way, three eighths. Yeah, I said close. That's to not 40. even. That's not even counting the. Um, I said close to forty. King of the, <laughs> that's not even counting the King of the Undead short that we read. So. Now that we're done dealing with the dead, it's time to head up to the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, hose off all this gore, and talk about our must-read picks. For next Wednesday, November 8th, Joe Patrick, are you seriously picking this? <laughs> Is this where we're at? Well, I mean, I feel, I don't know why I still have to explain, especially to you, my co-host, that sometimes the pick of the week isn't the thing you're most excited to read, but the thing you're most curious to read. I mean, I, I would so- say that is the thing you're most curious to read. And not necessarily the thing that is a must-read pick of the week, but that's these are your rules. Yeah, you well, you the must-read pick of the week—that's your verbiage sure, that sure. you came up with. It's my pick of the week because I'm like, I, I need to see what happens. In I'm trying to give the readers sure. something worth their money. You're trying to say, let's go look at this car crash. I get it. <laughs> well, I mean, sure, okay, but we're also going to review this comic next week. Of so. course, we are. I mean, you know. It is what it is. It's the Punisher number one. It's from Marvel Comics. It's written by David Peepos, art by Dave Wachter. It's 40 pages for $5.99. Here's your solicit. Is this the return of Frank Castle or the start of something else? Frank Castle has disappeared, but evil will always need to be punished. With all new threats rising to claim innocent victims, criminals will need to beware of a dangerous vigilante hunting them from the shadows. Who is the new Punisher? What put him on this path of vengeance? And when the smoke clears, will he even make it out alive? It's John Wick meets the fugitive in this action-packed new saga from Ringo Award-winning writer David Pippos from Savage Avengers and Moon Knight City of the Dead and Eisner and Harvey Award-nominated artist Dave Wachter from Planet of the Apes and X-Men Legends. As the Marvel Universe meets the next generation of punishment. We made a lot of jokes about the way the Punisher went out and Marvel's hurry to bring him back. I want to see what happens. It's not Frank. I'm curious. Dude, I guess, I mean, okay. Like, I'm not it gonna might say, be good. I'm not going to say I'm not curious, but like if the Punisher is not Frank Castle, I'm pretty sure I don't care. <laughs> and every what time man? they've tried to do a female Punisher, this other guy is the Punisher, you know, like whatever is the Punisher. I've, 
I it has not gone well. <laughs> I can't think of a single instance a good, where it landed. You know, a good comic's a good comic, I and don't I'll give disagree. it a chance. I I'll give it a fair disagree. chance, just like every other book we read. Fair enough. I picked what looks like a good comic next week. I picked Petrol Head number one from Image. It's forty eight pages for four ninety nine. It's written by Rob Williams with art by Pi Par. That's what I'm going with. Here's your yeah. solicit. Jump straight into the non-human race with 42 Robo-Gorgeous launch issue story pages. What? I'm not sure. Okay. Robo-Gorgeous Robo launch, launch issue story pages. Robo-Gorgeous, I get. What the? What is launch the, issue? What the, I get. What the freak's a launch issue story page? <laughs> no, they are, they are story pages found within the launch issue. Yeah. They are launch issue story pages. I guess, but that's a really weird way to weird that, right? Yeah, sure is, Matt. It's a sentence with three hyphenates in it. I it's guess. too many hyphenates. In a climate crisis ravaged future metropolis, an old, grumpy, obsolete, smoke belching, cigar chomping, hot rod racing robot is one 12-year-old girl's only hope. Together, they, together, Damn. can they outrace? The chasing RoboCops with an invention that might just save humanity. This solicit- Not that RoboCop. Not that RoboCop. Not that Robo. These are RoboCops, plural. This Robo, solicit- That Robo-Cops. This solicit literally got paid by the hyphen. This is crazy. <laughs> the art looks incredible for this one. Absolutely incredible. And the design of the robot is great. And whenever you've got an old grumpy cigar chump and robot, I am down. This like takes me right back to like- the big guy and Rusty the Boy Robot or something like that. I am sure, yeah. in. Love it. The creators call this a pedal-to-the-metal, action-packed sci-fi series. I'm in, gentlemen. You got me. Well, I guess we'll see when we read the gasoline-soaked launch issue. <laughs> Robo-gorgeous launch issue. Robo-gorgeous. Sorry. Yes. Sorry. Robo-gorgeous. Get it straight. Uh, launch issue pages. The THN must-read trade for next week. Again, it's the trade of the week. Whether it's must-read or not, that's up to you to decide. It's Ghost Lore, Volume 1, from Boom Studios. It's written by Colin Bunn with art by Leo Max. It's 128 pages for $16.99. Here's your solicit. What ghost stories do ghosts tell, and what can they tell us about ourselves? An estranged daughter and her father wander a haunted land. They only have the restless spirits, each with its own story to tell, as company along the way. After a deadly accident of which they were the only survivors, Lucas and Harmony Agate can see the dead, an overwhelming amount of the deceased, all with their own warnings, cries for help, and malevolence alike. But Lucas and Harmony aren't the only ones with this ability. There are other nearly deads, some of which have malicious motivations. Cullen Bunn of Basilisk and the Empty Man Acclaim is joined by artist Leo Max, who we loved on Basketful of Heads, along with guest artists Brian Hurt from The Sixth Gun, Danny Luckert from The Red Mother, and Vanessa R. Del Rey from The Joker Presents, colon, A Puzzle Box. A black label joint, I'm sure. Bringing readers the most eye-opening spectral story since The Sixth Sense. Whew. This collects ghost lore one through four. That's a whole lot of words to say what I could tell you in one short sentence. Ghost lore rules. We reviewed number one on the show. It's great. We didn't review it on the show. We reviewed it. Oh, we didn't? On we did read it, a though. ludicrous speed round article that went yeah, up because yeah. we didn't have a show that week. I reviewed it. I loved it. it fantastic. I've really only good. read issues one through four of this, so I've only read this first storyline. They're up to like issue eight right now. It's fantastic. This book is so good, and it's not just because of Leo Max. 
is incredible and draws the creepiest shit you've ever seen. I love his art style. Colin Bunn just can't be stopped. When it comes to horror, the man cannot be stopped. He, I don't know it's what true. happened to him when he was young, but I'm glad it did because we've got all these kick-ass horror stories. And I don't, and again, I hope it wasn't too terrible, but it messed him up just enough that we got some great horror from this guy. Man, this book is so good. Is he the king of current independent horror comics? I think it is fair to say through sheer volume, if nothing else, he has to be, right? He's up there, man. He's got to be. If the sheer volume of your pull list for next week has room, be sure to pre-order these comics so that you can read along with us and tune in next week to hear our reviews of these picks. Excelsior! That is it for Teaching 720. Next time, just like Joe mentioned, we are back reviewing new comics. We're going to give you a taste of our Patreon extra if you can't get enough of this terrifying, gory Teaching stuff. Join us for the Teaching Cover to Cover Gang Hang. We do it on Saturdays at 11 o'clock Central Time. Check out our Discord for details. Joe Patrick, what else can they do at our Discord? We always love to see your new comics haul every week. Or maybe you have a conspiracy theory about Kevin Feige sporting a sinister red diamond under that baseball cap he's always wearing. <laughs> or maybe you just want to discuss one or both of our questions of the week. The first one, who are your favorite heroes and villains that have been touched by the supernatural? I'm not talking about cosmic gods or like actual demons from hell, etc., etc. I'm talking about flesh and blood characters or people that were once flesh and blood like your blue devils your daemon hellstroms your man things etc you very a lot of good answers i screwed up so i said hellboy i don't think hellboy counts hellboy is like a full hellboy on, is a demon from hell he's a full-on demon from hell yeah. but he wasn't my first choice my first choice was ghost rider i love it ghost rider is fair totally um second question was show us your halloween costumes from this year or years past the nerdier the better we want to see them you can sign up for our Discord with the link at 2 slash Discord, where we've got channels set up for all of our segments, or you can send an MP3 to 2 at gmail.com and we'll put you on the show. If you're new to the show and you'd rather cut our heads off than listen to any more, I assure you it's only because you haven't heard enough. The good news is you can hear the entire of THN in our digital long box archive at 2 This show is a listener-supported podcast, and it would not be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Jeremy Jacquet! I assume that's how it's pronounced, Jeremy, and I'm not going that's to That's definitely how it's pronounced, yes. <laughs> if you like what you hear every week, just like Jeremy does, it's easy to support the show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash nerd. and Jeremy, if I did pronounce that wrong and you donate even more money, I will apologize. But otherwise, we don't care. <laughs> don't, don't, there don't, is a, don't there's a us. price for my apologies, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Thank you, Jeremy. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to one of our oldest listeners, Chris, the British guy, Bell, and his lovely fiance Hannah, who just got engaged while visiting our fair nation last week. Oh. Hip, hip, you crazy kids. But would it have killed you to swing by Omaha to say hi to your old pals, Joe and Mount, while you were in the States? I mean, where do you for not getting shot while you were here and proposing? I mean, you know? you've a already lot of shit flew going on. to New York from, <laughs> from England. You could have gone a little bit extra to get to Omaha. It's not that far. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might feast on your brain. This is the Two-Headed Nerd, signing off. Two-Headed Nerd.